Hello, I'm Rhiannon and you're listening to Global Questions, the podcast breaking down international news and politics. Today on the show, part three of our in-depth series on technology. Digital technology is transforming all our lives, so it's no wonder that it's also changing how we fight. It's making militaries smarter, faster, more efficient, but it's also opening up the prospect of serious dangers in the future. Artificial intelligence has been used to augment military capabilities since the missile defence systems of the 1980s. But today, AI is becoming more sophisticated and pervasive in the development of semi-autonomous weapons. Only last year, Israel's defence industry caught the spotlight with its development of robo-snipers, suicide drones and battlefield robots. Such weapons have been deployed on the Israel-Palestine border and in the recent Azerbaijan and Armenia border conflict. With AI becoming extremely important to militaries around the world and to contemporary conflict, these questions and challenges are even more necessary to understand than ever. But if something else flies into the particular area that the AI system is searching, the AI will engage it almost regardless of what it is. Dr. Peter Layton is a visiting fellow at the Griffith Asia Institute, Griffith University, and a Royal Australian Air Force Reserve Group captain. He has extensive aviation and defence experience, and for his work at the Pentagon, he was awarded the United States Secretary of Defence's Exceptional Public Service Medal. We chat about why AI is becoming integral to warfare and military operations in contemporary society, the development of AI technology, and the future of AI and warfare. Welcome, Peter, to the Global Questions podcast. Great to be here. Now, this episode, we're diving into the world of AI and specifically AI in warfare. So to start us off, are you able to explain to our listeners why militaries are making use of AI during war and why this is becoming an important tool for militaries around the world? Artificial intelligence is a bit unusual in that uh, this is a technology that has come out of the commercial and the civil sector. Normally, sort of militaries develop their own specialised sort of military technology, but this one is is rather different. It's also different in being a general purpose technology. That is, everything has it. You think of your smartphone, for instance. AI is everywhere. From the military viewpoint, AI brings with it the ability to identify particular items hidden amongst vast data troves and also to make sense of those data troves as far as patterns go. So AI is wonderful for finding things hidden amongst large amounts of data. That's its sort of principal use at the moment. And also throws up, of course, the point that, well, you need the data, you need that big data out there, but you also need a few other things like the cloud so that everything can talk to each other, and you also need good computer processing power. Hence, there's a lot of interest now about quantum chips as well. So you can see that AI is not necessarily a standalone thing, it sort of has a whole lot of the digital technologies with it. And so we see that AI has both advantages and disadvantages over human decision-making. In the context of warfare, where do you think this should be applied and when should it not be implied in favour of traditional human decision-making powers? Well, the level of technology of AI at the present time is termed narrow AI. Now, in theory, there is a type of AI called general AI that will replicate the human mind, but people are looking at that as arriving in, say, 50 or 80 years' time. So it's still a long way away. And I might add that general AI has been going to arrive now for at least 70 years. So as we learn more about the human mind, we sort of realise the limitations of the technology we are uh, using. So AI is good at finding stuff 
And AI is good when it's trained, and it's trained for a very narrow task. So, for instance, it can look at photos and find a ship on 9 million photos very quickly and even tell you the type of ship. But if you then moved across into, say, trying to find aircraft on the same photos, it would not work at all because the AI has not been trained for that task. So it's very narrow. So while it can help people and support us by looking through vast amounts of data, it can't be moved from one context to another context easily. And so it can't actually decide anything in that sense. Now, having said that, AI um, has a lot of computing power with it. And if you have uh, large models of the world, a uh, synthetic model of the world, AI with its computing power can run those models and tell you what should happen. It won't tell you what will happen. It will tell you what should happen in a probabilistic sense. The computers most of us use are deterministic computers. That means they give the same result every single time for the same input. AI will give different answers every single time. So it can help humans and make humans more productive, but it can't solve a problem, if you like, like that. In fact, it may not even be aware that there is a problem to solve. Right. And so you mentioned, you know, that it has to be trained for specific tasks and that might pose a challenge in certain circumstances. Again, in that military context, what are some other challenges that AI might produce in that context of war? At the present time, of course, there's a, there's a lot of concern about autonomous robots, if you like, that will be able to find things and then attack them. And in a sense, that's conceivable. The problem is that AI taken out of a fairly narrow context will not be able to find anything and then won't know what to attack. The military obviously want weapons on target, not weapons on just anything. So it's not a cost-effective weapon system in that sense its ability to decide by itself is extremely limited. We do use a type of AI systems in very simple defensive systems, as in for an anti-missile system, where the missiles are moving at hypersonic speed and human beings just can't keep up with it. And that sort of illustrates some of the disadvantages as well. These systems can be turned on, but if something else flies into the particular area that the AI system searching into that particular radar zone, the AI will engage it almost regardless of what it is. That sounds wonderful, but the trouble is, of course, the AI system is firing a missile, an anti-missile missile every single time. So it will use up all those missiles at breathtaking speed. It's sort of crazy weapons. You can see we're talking about the Ukrainian war and they're talking about the Russians firing 2,000 missiles or something and using up almost all of their missile stocks. So you really want to make sure that each of those missiles is in fact going somewhere that will help your uh, strategy. With AI, you would have no idea where the missiles will in fact go to. Definitely a lot of challenges with this. So looking at some of the world's largest superpowers and their militaries, the US, Russia, China, how does artificial intelligence fit into their military doctrines as it stands? Okay, so interesting how different countries are looking at AI. For both the Chinese and the Americans are looking for AI to give them an advantage over each other. Uh, and in particular, the Americans are looking at AI as being able to make a great mass of the robots. They have relatively small numbers of people, so they want lots and lots of robots. The Chinese, on the other hand, have lots and lots of robots, but they don't have very much experience about making wars. So they're thinking about AI more in that decision-making support process as far as modelling the future battlefield and trying to help commanders make decisions. The Chinese military has a view that its commanders 
aren't very good at making decisions and AI may be able to help them there. But once you move away from that superpower level, leading military powers, take the United Kingdom and France. They both look at AI as keeping them relatively where they are now. They can see that the world's getting bigger, if you like, that other military forces are growing in size and sophistication. So they hope AI will compensate for that and keep them relatively leading edge. And in the Australian context, uh, Australia is always short of people. So we have high hopes that AI will be able to compensate for the shortage of people and make people more productive. And in Australia, it is so that the AI will be able to, in fact, take over that analysing and the processing and suggest things to the decision makers. So rather than having lots and lots of people analysing, you will just have a small number checking on the AI and making sure that the AI is working correctly. Do you love global questions? Then you'd be happy to know that we run events all through the year. Find us on your socials. Search Young Diplomat Society to keep up to date with upcoming events. And looking at how it impacts international relations in that regard, do you think there will be much competition over the development of AI technology and how this will play a role in great power politics? And if so, what will this look like in the future? There's certainly a lot of competition at the present time. China, for about the last 20 years, has been looking at state-run innovation policy as they try to catch up to the technologies in use in, say, Europe, Japan and the United States. And they have a very well-structured program that uses the latest thinking out of innovation studies about how to develop a high-tech industry. And that's been a long-term process and is extremely well-funded. And they're particularly interested, as I said, in things which are general-purpose technologies, not just designed for a specific purpose, but technologies they can use for both military purposes and for civilian purposes. And the civilian ones are obviously sell well, and they're much more important to your country as a whole. So you've got the Chinese interested in in that industrial policy sense. Meanwhile, the United States, perhaps a bit inside Britain and France, the technology from the military view tends to be much more optimised. And so they're trying to devise innovation programs appropriate for the military and quite narrowly structured ones because militaries tend to be conservative by their nature and they tend to resist change. So the innovation there is sought within the defence departments, if you like, rather than nationwide. There's a lot of competition. The Americans are trying to slow down the rate of development in China. At the present time, the best chips are made in uh, Taiwan or South Korea. So the Americans are trying to slow down the access that the Chinese have the smallest and the leading operating computer chips. The Americans can do this because the tooling necessary to actually make those chips comes out of the United States or out of Europe. So under the Wasamir AE agreement, they can restrict the flow of dual-use technology into China. And over the last few years, they have been doing that very successfully. Now, China, of course, is unhappy about this particular process. So they're trying to reverse engineer and make their own tooling. But that will probably take about 10 or 15 years, in which case Europe and the United States will have moved on another sort of 10 or 15 years. And catching up in a very innovative area like this is very, very difficult. So we'll probably see a quite a split here, if you like, between the American and the US use of AI for military purposes, and then the use of AI by the Chinese. There's a chance that they'll go down different technological pathways. 
I suppose this brings me to my last question. And it's, you know, quite an open-ended one, but what do you see as the future for AI in warfare and in contemporary militaries around the world? Are there challenges about the evolution and expansion of AI in these spaces? And what will this kind of look like in the future? At the moment, we're using AI to help us do tasks, if you like. So we're using AI as a tool, just like we use normal computer systems. So we're not actually working with AI in that sort of sense. If you think of AI as being in the future, perhaps something like a well-trained sheepdog or a horse, that would be the ambition of most militaries. A dog and a horse can anticipate humans. They have some of that, that sort of sense there that they can see what the human wants and they can provide it before almost the human thinks about it. And they can also do tasks by themselves. That would be the big ambition of most militaries. At the same time, we have no idea how to do the technology for that. So there's a lot of experimentation going on around the world to try and find what the best use of artificial intelligence is. It's still relatively early days, even though in the civil world, we've had the systems running AI now for 10 or 15 years. As I said, I think in the sort of initial stages over the next 10 years, its biggest use will be in simple robots and in helping model the battlefield so that military power is used more effectively. I don't see it, at least for the next decade, overturning the balance of power. It's a, an additive to rather than a revolutionary technology. But it's certainly going to spread across all militaries, at least all that uh, can afford it. But most of us can afford a mobile phone, so I suppose that will be all militaries. <laughs> for sure. Look, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. If our listeners want to know more about you, read some of your work or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, send me an uh, email to the Griffith Asia Institute. Uh, my email address is uh, p.layton at griffith.edu.au, Layton being L-A-Y-T-O-N, or else look for me online or on LinkedIn. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Rianne. Bye. Bye. That's all for this week's in-depth episode. Join us next week for the wrap-up, Josh and Kelly's fortnightly recap of news from around the world. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram for memes, quizzes and regular news updates. Links will be in the episode description. We'll see you next week.